Wasn't that a blessing? I wouldn't mind listening to that a few more times. That was a blessing. Well, children, guess what? You get to go to children's church tonight. So if you guys want to go, last Sunday I forgot to say it and had some bum kids. So I totally understand. I wouldn't want to listen to... Wait. Wait, it's okay. Isn't it kids? Don't you like to listen to me? No. No problem. No problem. I can take that. Um, but uh, I would love, to, if I was a child, I'd love to go up and hear. I'm so appreciative to the uh, Mr. Drew and the other children's leaders and, and all that they do. And, and I've been in that role before, and it's an important one. Uh, I remember Spurgeon saying, he, uh, I think it was Spurgeon. Spurgeon or maybe it was Moody. One of them said he came home to his wife and he said um, we had, uh, was it two and, a half, two and a half souls saved today or two and a half people saved today. And, and uh, his wife said, two and a half, what are you, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And uh, he said, well, we had two kids and an adult saved, you know, and I don't know if he meant soul, but he, something, the idea is their life, though. The children have so much before them, and the adults are, you know, used part of their life already, so it's, it's valuable. So pray for your, pray for your kids, but this evening, I'm looking forward to getting in the, into the passage. Uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. We're going to continue our series on the seven churches and uh, this is unusual, I think, to spend three messages on one of the letters, but we're going to do that. Um, this last part of this letter to Ephesus, I want to focus on one verse this evening. One verse, and that verse is going to talk about the tree of life. And I've entitled the message tonight, Eating of the Tree of Life. That's what we're promised, those who overcome. What kind of fruit do you enjoy eating? You know, I grew up in Montana, and I know as a kid I didn't like my fruits and vegetables. I can't think of really a good fruit I ate in Montana. I mean, they had flathead cherries. Those were good. Um, I remember going out with my grandma and picking choke cherries. But just the name ought to tell you what those things taste like. Um, You know, but I remember then going and doing an internship in in, uh, California and, and tasting a fresh strawberry. And they probably had fresh strawberries in Montana, but I don't think I rate one as a kid. I remember just biting on that and saying, oh man, that is so good. So good to be so fresh and juicy. And uh, truly all the other ones, but, but probably my fruit now, and it's changed over the years, probably the fruit that I really enjoy eating on is a pear. Okay, some of you are saying yes. I didn't take votes tonight. I don't know, but um, there's, I've had a good orange right off the tree. Anything right off the tree normally is very good. My wife tells me that bananas that are fresh right off the tree are amazing and nothing else compares to them. It's a plant, what, yeah, tree plant, whatever. I don't know. I've never seen a, a banana tree or a plant. Um, pineapples, fresh pineapples, all these different things. But my wife, she um, worked at Harry and David's and she was able to bring home some pears from there. I thought pear, you know, all the pears I've had are usually very hard pears and they're, you know, it's like you're, you're trying hard to eat them or that or it's been in a can and it's just just different. Um, but this pear, I got this pear and I kind of, I don't like to eat the skin. Who likes to eat skin on pears? All right, probably the majority. I'm just weird. Uh, again, I grew up in Montana on the potatoes and, you know, steak, so... But uh, getting these, I, I take the, the skin off, and all of a sudden, it's just dripping with juices and, and everything, and I take one bite of that, and it's just amazing to eat. I've never, 
I just had never experienced that before. So my taste buds have changed or something, but that fruit was just amazing. When the passage we're going to read, we're just going to read really one verse tonight. We are promised something tangible. Something that we can have when we get to heaven. And there are a lot of promises that we have that we can have in heaven. And in each of these churches, there's a letter. And at the end of each one of these letters, there is a promise for the churches, which ultimately is for us, the individual, the church of God. But tonight I want to focus in on what this promise is and and what we're talking about tonight. So let's read verse 7 of uh, Revelation 2. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this evening I pray that you would help us to understand and to see and to keep before us what you have in store for us. Lord, truly we can have heaven in our heart here on this earth. We've already been set in the heavenlies. The work has been finished on the cross. Christ has fully done it. But we are still in this sin-cursed world. Lord, you tell us to set our affections on things above. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that you'd help us just to focus on this beautiful promise that you have for us. And, Lord, whatever it is that we need to overcome today, this week, in our lives, I pray that you'd help us to see that we are overcomers through Christ. And so, Lord, do a spiritual work in our hearts now. Help our faith to increase. Help us to lay hold of eternal life. Or do a work now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Every one of these letters, John is going to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's told to write these things. The, The angel of the church is to write. We're always given this promise. And this is why I believe these letters are for churches of all times for each individual believer is because it's written in in, in uh, the spirit says here, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. It's not even in the Greek here. It's single singular. It doesn't even have to be two ears. It's just got to be you got to be able to hear. Listen, and the idea is listen up. I know with my children, there's times where I tell them and I, and I say, hey, listen, if if you do this, there's going to be a special reward or there's a there's a blessing. If not, usually there's a consequence or there's something you're going to miss out. And that's what the spirit of God is saying. Listen up, heed it, take these things to heart. He has just talked to the church at Ephesus about all the things that they have done well. They were a busy church. They had spiritual discernment. They labored. They sweated. They were they were to the point of exhaustion serving the Lord. But they had one thing against them. And that thing against them was that they lost their first love. Or they, they didn't lose it. They, they forsook. They left their first love. And they were so busy with the things of God and dis- discerning the things. And had a lot of things to get uh, uh, for them. That they lost their passion 
for Christ, their love for the Lord, and they drew they grew cold in their heart. And last week we looked at how really they could, uh, and we can, we can find our first love again. And truly, this idea is to take to to let go of that passion, that love for Christ, and to replace it with something else. And and you remember what John, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse five, he says, "Remember." Went for, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, he told them to remember, remember that time you you accepted Christ, that time you came to know Christ as your savior. Last week, I talked about the wedding uh, for those that are married. Remember the wedding. Remember the special ceremony, that that wonderful time like you would a, a wedding book and looking back at the pictures. And then he says, repent. And this is an idea of instantaneously. You need to repent, repent today, get right Confess these things to the Lord. There's so many, so many uh, extramarital affairs we talked about last week. Different things that creep into our relationship with the Lord that cause our heart to go away from the Lord. And there's those things they creep in easily. And there's there's many that are attending church faithfully, but yet they're not in love with the Lord. They're just going out of out of duty or out of obligation, or it's always always been a habit. I talked to somebody this morning, and I praise the Lord for those that go and pick up our, our older folks at the nursing home. And and uh, I talked to her, and she said that she is a widow now, and and uh, she uh, was married to a, a pastor. And she said, I don't know what it would be like to not go to church on Sunday. Okay, and, and there are good traditions, there are good habits, right? I mean, where else are you going to grow? You know, as a body of believers, you got to be in church to hear the word of God and to worship together. Uh, you can't neglect that, not forsaking yourselves together. But it's become such a habit to her. And, and her, I don't I'm not judging her love for the Lord in any way. But so often I think we're, we're like that. Uh, we 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 will not miss church and different things. But yet, how much are we really getting out of it? Are we coming more for the idea of critiquing the pastor, <laughs> you know, or coming for the wrong reasons? So he says, repent, and, and then he says, uh, do the first works. Get back to what started that vital relationship with the Lord. And so John here is giving a promise, as he will in all the other letters, and he's saying, listen up, heed this, this is the promise. And here it's written, to him that overcomes, really in the Hebrew, or in the Greek, I'm sorry, it's a participle, it's to the one who is overcoming. Or, in some translations, to the one who is conquering. Okay? To the one who is conquering. And so I think to myself, if, if you're going to be conquering, overcoming something, there's got to be something, there's got to be whatever that is that you're overcoming. And I don't know, maybe it's the ground, whatever it may be, but I think particularly for this church, what they're overcoming is their loss of zeal and passion for the Lord. Um, very clearly we see that that is what is against them. And they've got to overcome it. Okay. Now, truly, this, this idea of overcoming is, is not, uh, not some elite group. We're not talking about the select few that will be able to eat of this tree of life. Um, but there's a conflict before all believers. There's something to overcome in our lives. There's certain sins, besetting sins, whatever they may be. There's certain trials, there's certain testing, whatever it is. But with this church, it was the idea that they had lost their first love. 
which was huge. Not lost, they left their first love. Never lost it. They just didn't have that closeness. And so we have to understand one thing. This isn't for an elite group, but it is for those who overcome. And I'm going to explain that. Um, the idea here really is, is the fact that we are overcomers through Christ. Do you see yourself as that? I think so often we're like on the battlefield where someone that's faint in heart, kind of like at the, the place where there was the giant Goliath and all the Israelites were faint in heart. They didn't want to go out and fight the, the Philistine. They couldn't see how in the world are they going to overcome this giant? What are we going to do? He's a giant. And here he's saying all these things. And we're faint in heart. And that is a lie from Satan. As the 12 spies went into the land, the 10 said, we can't do this. We are but grasshoppers. And they are giants in the land. And the two that realized they were overcomers through Yahweh, Jehovah God, were the two that said, hey, though there be giants, we can go in and take the land. You see, it's a matter of perspective. And it's so easy to be caught uh, focusing on the conflict and the hardship and in all these different things. And and sometimes it's 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 not wanting to get right or humble ourselves and just totally fall in love with the Lord again. Whatever it may be that that we're focused on, there is a conflict, there's something going in us and we're focusing on that more than the one who has helped us to overcome. You need to see this, and I have it here, but you need to flip to this, this portion of Scripture. It's going to help you understand what I'm talking about. 1 John chapter 5. So turn just a little bit over to the left. Just have Jude, and, and then you're in the Johns, the 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. 1 John, again, chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. Listen to this. What a wonderful, awesome reality. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, we are overcomers through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the object of our faith and who He is and what He's done. And the wonderful song that was sung tonight, He is our Savior. He is the author and finisher of our faith. But it's through trusting Him and looking to Him. And so this conflict can, can, can wage and the battle can go on. Let's go to another uh, important passage for you to see. And that is um, uh, chapter, actually go to chapter 4, 1 John 4, verse 4. Just a couple of verses back, or a chapter back. John here, in talking about the Antichrist and false prophets and things like that, he says in verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Isn't that an awesome promise? A wonderful promise from God about the Lord who lives in us. It reminds me of Galatians chapter 2 which says, you, you have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The fact that we can overcome is because of Christ. Go to Revelation 21. I'll have you turn, around, turn in your Bible to a few spots tonight. Revelation 21, 5 
through 8. Again, Revelation 21, 5 through 8. John writes here, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And if we understand this and we think it's up to us to do this, to overcome somehow, we, we've missed the gospel, haven't we? We've missed what we've already seen, the faith that is truly in Christ. And we'll see some more here as I bring out some other verses. But verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, when Christ truly comes in your heart, He changes your life. He now becomes, He helps you to be more like Jesus. He helps you to overcome the sin and to change. And there's that sanctification process that takes place and in in, in being justified and all these things. And you become, you've changed. You have a new nature. God's done a work in your heart and your life. Really, with this whole idea of the the overcomer, the idea that there is something we need to overcome, and the fact in Ephesus it was they lost or they left their first love is is really we're getting back to something that as Baptists we definitely believe, and that is the idea of eternal security. Okay? Some people have used the term perseverance of the saints. And the idea here is that there are, as Pastor said this morning, wouldn't it be sad if some are a member of Westside Baptist Church, yet they are not truly saved. I've heard Pastor, she's been thinking on this thought, I think, this week, and talking about certain statements that we say, and, and obviously any one of us can sin at times and, and, and take our eyes off the Lord. But truly, Jesus even said there would be wheat and tares in the field, be wheat and tares in the church of God. Those that maybe looked like they were Christians, but yet their heart was not right and those that were definitely Christians. You see, as, as a church, I believe the Scriptures teach the fact that if you truly know Jesus Christ, you will overcome. You will follow God. Not that you will be perfect. Not that you will fall because you will fall, but you will get back up. I think of Abraham. Abraham's an Old Testament saint. But how well did Abraham do on his faith journey? It's interesting, isn't it? I'm reading through the, the, story, the life of Abraham with my boys, and, and we get to the, the, the first time where he goes into Egypt, and he says that his wife is really his sister, which was a half lie. My son said, it's a white lie. I said, well, it's all lie. It's a lie no matter what, okay? And he does those things, and who really, who really gets judged right away? It's Pharaoh. It's the Egyptian and his household, and and it's amazing how really through all of those orchestrated events, Abraham ends up getting blessed, but he's the one that's lied and he's really failed the test, hasn't he? And then going and reading more about Abraham and Abraham and, and Sarah. And now Sarah says, well, we're not going to have any children. So, so therefore, just take my servant Hagar, the Egyptian, 
uh, have a child through her and that will be my child. You know what's crazy there? Is Hagar became his wife. It wasn't just a concubine. It's very clear it became his wife. In all these things, we know that when, the, when she has the child, there's, there's all kinds of hatred and wrong feelings between Hagar and Sarai and, and all these things. And now Abraham, he has two wives. And he goes through all those conflicts. And, and can you imagine all the things? And so we see that he failed that test too, really, right? We see again him before Abimelech. In Abimelech, he goes to another, the country there and he says, well, this is my sister. You would have thought he would have learned the first time. But he, but he failed again, didn't he? And my kids, they're reading through this. They're like, uh, Abraham, he's kind of, uh, he's kind of not, <laughs> doesn't trust the Lord very well, you know. But we know that he did trust the Lord and the Lord counted it for righteousness. Ultimately, we read just recently the story of Isaac being born and then Isaac, God telling Abraham to take his son, his one and only son, to be offered on the mountain. Boy, we see his faith there. God has matured him over the years. What does he say to his servants? He says, the two servants that went, we will return. I said, uh, boys, what does that show of Abraham? And, and one of my sons said, it shows him a liar. <laughs> I said, no, it doesn't show him a liar. He has lied before, but this actually, he's, he's, he's actually showing his faith. And we talked about the fact that God said that Isaac would have descendants, Abraham would have descendants, that there would be a great nation. And so Abraham knew that God did not lie and that God would provide. You see, we see Abraham, did he always overcome and always do things right? The fact is, no, he did not. But did he have a faith, though, that even had failed at times but still persevered to the end? Yes. Okay. And so we have to ask ourselves, and the Bible's clear. I think the Bible is clear that somebody, somebody that truly does not persevere, that says, I just am trying Jesus, or I tried Jesus, and, and I, I, I uh, reject all that Jesus was not God, and, and that church thing was not for me, I would say that they truly never came to know Christ as their Savior. I think we see that in the scriptures. Um, you don't have to turn there, but again, it's in First John. First John 2.18, John says, Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. First uh, John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all, they were not all of us. You see the fact there? You see when the testings, the trials, the, the things that were to overcome come, they help discern what is the wheat and the tares. Does God put trials and, and temptations and, and things in our lives not, not to tempt us to sin, but to see if our faith is genuine? And it's through those times that we ought to really rejoice and say, God, thank you. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, endurance. It makes all these things so that your faith grows and becomes stronger and becomes more of a, a love for God. God is trying us. He's refining us. 
Though you be tried for a, sh- a short time, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold, that perishes, though it be tried with fire. Might be found under the praise and honor and the glory at the appearing of Christ Jesus. You see, God puts these, he puts these trials in our lives and he does this to see if we have genuine faith. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's not a work salvation. That's the fact if you truly know Christ and you have him and he's in you, you're justified, you're regenerated, you will do the things of God. And I don't think we sit back and say, well, once saved, always saved. The fact is the true believer will persevere. The true believer will keep going. He will overcome. He will get back up. He will look to the Lord. You see, but there is this, this conflict, this, this thing that, these things in our lives that we've got to overcome. Uh, the true believer will persevere. He will continue to look to the Lord, but... But ultimately, it's, it, there is the, the responsibility of each of us to keep persevering, keep enduring, keep going. But the fact is, Christ has already won the victory. He's already won the victory. He is the author and finisher of our faith, looking unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame, is set down at, at, at the right hand of the cross. Consider him, right? Aren't you, aren't you glad for that? John sixteen thirty three says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Revelation 6, 2, as we look at all these things that are unfolding there in the book of Revelation, says, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering And to conquer. What's that talking about? The Lord Jesus. Boy, go to this passage. You know this passage. But boy, what a a good reminder for us. Romans 8, 35. You see, we have a victorious conqueror who's already already went on before us. It says, he that overcometh, he he will be able, he will be given to eat of the tree of life. But we've got to get this part right. And understand that Jesus has went on before us. He has conquered. He has done these things. Romans 8, 35. We read, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors through him. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That word for conquerors here is is a little bit different word. It uses the same Greek word for overcomer, for overcoming the world, and John there. This word is really cool, Pastor. I don't know if you have your phone open there or not, but this has the the, prep, the prefix to it, "uper." "Uper" in the Greek is the idea is the idea of. Uh, let me find my notes here. 
to above or beyond. Above or beyond to to a greater degree, uh, more than. And so this idea is that Christ has super overcome way beyond all these different things. He's the one that he's completely victorious, that he's going to help us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. You see, folks, you want to be an overcomer? Okay, I believe that you will persevere, but when you're going through it, you don't feel like it. (laughs) But he's done it. He's the one that gives the strength. He's the one that gives the power. And His Spirit gives us the help to be Spirit-led to go through it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy, thy staff, they comfort me. It is Christ that has been victorious. Go to Revelation as we, as we think back of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The last part of chapter 1, verse 17 John says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying unto me, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. You see, right there's the vision of Jesus conquering death, conquering sin, doing that for us. That we might have that hope, that living hope. That we might be able to endure, persevere, go through whatever God has for us. And truly the church at Ephesus, it was the idea that their church had became cold, though orthodox, and their heart had grown cold to the things of God. Can God help somebody like that? Betcha. As Pastor said this morning about love and hate, they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. God said, I hate that too. But they forgot to flip it over and say, I'm going to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. You see, you've got to have both. There are certain things God hates. The Bible says in Romans there, to, to love that which is good and to eschew that which is evil. We've got to have a passion for our God and a love. But, but truly, it's because Christ is the conqueror. He's the one we look to that we can overcome these things. You know, I have people come to me lots of times, and I go to other people when we're down and we're in that valley. We just have to point people back to Christ, don't we? And what He's done and what we have in Him. Boy, that mindset sure changes everything, doesn't it? Boy, I talked to Barb Sprague in the hospital yesterday, and I, I am saying, God, when I go through a test like that, Lord, help me to have just a little bit of the faith like she has. She says to me, I'm not in pain. This is God has helped. I feel the prayers of the saints. I think she just I'm rejoicing. I'm counting my blessings. The chaplain came in. I witnessed to him and prayed with him. She said, (laughs) no, I don't know if he was lost. That's what it sounded like. But but you see, folks, this trials come in all different ways. Right. But we can overcome through Christ. What a what a blessing it is to see people that overcome, though, isn't it? Is there any sin that's in your life that cannot be overcome? The answer is there is no sin that cannot be overcome. Christ can help you to overcome any sin. And there are steps, I guess, but true ultimately it's that close relationship with Jesus Christ, that first love latching hold of him that he can transform, he can help us. Well, all that and let's get to the fruit, huh? 
You see, back in Revelation, he says, He that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We're going to see this idea of overcoming and then given something seven more times in this. In fact, one time it's, it's twice in, a, in one of the letters. But God is the one giving this. Is this an inheritance? You could maybe call it that way. Is it a reward? Maybe so, it's, but it's given to those that overcome. And it's given here, it's, it's to eat of the tree of life. Will we eat in heaven? The answer is yes. We always think of the marriage supper of the lamb, right? What a feast that will be. But here we have the tree of life. This word life is the, is the life that pastor talked about on Wednesday night if you were here. If you weren't, you missed out. But this is talking about the abundant life. This is talking about the life that overflows. This is the life that God can truly give. This is like heaven in our hearts already. We are are given eternal life when we come to know Jesus as our Savior. It begins there. But there's something about this, this tree of life. This tree of life is something tangible. It's something we can have. It's something like that juicy pear that we could eat Now, something that we can have from this tree when we are in the paradise of God. In a a, a wonderful truth here, we know about this tree of life. This tree of life we've we've been uh, told about already way back in the book of Genesis. See, this was a tree of life and truly God said, we must kick out Adam and Eve so that they do not eat of the tree of life. Do you remember that? Because they knew the knowledge of the tree, uh, the knowledge of good and evil from that that other tree. And they had the the angels in front. And truly it was the Garden of Eden, a beautiful place. But God will restore that tree of life in paradise. But it'll be much better. Much, much better. You say, well, Pastor Nathan, how do you know that? Well, let's go to other scripture. Um, You help understand scripture by other scripture. So let's go to. A wonderful passage that describes the tree of life, and that is Revelation 22. Revelation 22, we'll start in verse 1. We know in 21 where we learn of the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem that comes down. What an amazing city. Uh, Amazing, and I know Pastor Edwards is teaching on heaven and talking about some of these wonderful truths. But uh, verse 1 of Revelation 22, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's a whole beautiful picture when Jesus says, I will give you living water. You'll never thirst again. This is flowing out of the, the throne of God, this this river of water of life in the midst of the street of it. And so it goes out and it goes through the streets. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the saints. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. We could keep going, but looking back here, we see that there's this beautiful river going through the streets, the streets of the New Jerusalem. 
Some of you have been in a been in a town where there is streets, there's a river going through a town. We have that kind of in Eugene, right? Um, I know when we went to the the, the um, something like this, a city or a town that had a, a river going through it. The last one I was in was actually in Peru, um, just down from Machu Picchu. The I can't remember what the name of the little town there was, but there was a river going right down next to the street. It was it was beautiful to see that. It wasn't a very big river, but there was a stream going right down in the middle of the city. Just Just how beautiful that was. But notice here, there wasn't just this river flowing, but there was also the tree of life. Now, what's interesting here is it says, did you catch this as you're reading? It says, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. And that seems odd, doesn't it? Am I, am I thinking the tree of life would be one big tree, and it can't be in two places at once? A lot of the uh, people that study this out have the idea that it's now not just one tree, but it's a forest of trees. There might be, and I guess this is true, I didn't look up the trees, but sometimes there is a the parent tree that has root system that starts other trees up. And so now we've had this this city that God has been preparing, a place where now there's a mighty forest by the river in the city. Think about that. It truly is a garden city. It's a wonderful place. We have to travel often many miles to go to national parks and uh, reserves where there, we can see that beauty uh, Kelly and I and our family were going to Yellowstone this summer and looking forward to it. But there's a there's there's a trip there and there's time and money. But this is right in the New Jerusalem. It's called paradise. Folks, this is wonderful. This is amazing. And thinking of that that stream as it's going along and you hear the sound and and, and obviously as as we're used to, there's there's got to be different creatures in this, these trees, in this forest, there's got to be these animals. There's got to be birds chirping and there's got to be squirrels playing. I, I don't know. I'm not going to necessarily argue for all those creatures. As one of my commentators said, those smelly creatures. He <laughs> wanted to argue for the beautiful ones. But, <laughs> but we know that there'll be an eagle, right? Book of Revelation, you know there's going to be horses. But a beautiful, beautiful, tranquil place. But we know far beyond that in a wonderful time of rest and relaxation and joy and glorious place. It's called the, the water, the living water, and it's called the tree of life. You see, there's something about this, and some have searched for the fountain of youth in this earth, but truly this is the far beyond the fountain of youth, but the tree of life, eternal life, immortality. To eat of this, this tree bears fruit monthly. And I know the King James here, it says, which bear 12 manner of fruits. And uh, somehow in the, in the Greek there, as, as I was studying this too in different translations, it has the idea that there's 12 different kinds of fruits. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what I study. That's what I feel like what it's, it's talking about. Monthly, 12 different types of fruits. That's far beyond our imagination now, or not our imagination, but what we've experienced on this earth. Could you imagine having apples and oranges and pears and peaches, all these different times? I don't know what else grows on trees. I'd keep going, okay, but not bananas or pineapples, okay? But I would love to see those on there too. I don't don't know. 
But now we have something tangible that we can take in our hand and we can eat and enjoy. And it's going to be the best fruit you've ever experienced. You see, folks, this is what we get as overcomers. This is just one part, but that is the tree of life. And you think about, they had lost their passion, they had grown cold, and we, we grow cold, we lose our passion at times. You know, there's a fruit called, what, passion fruit. <laughs> Thinking about something tangible, something we can experience, something that is so wonderful, that is given to us, that gives us this life, this vitality, this abundant life that we can have. Talks about this, this tree also with the leaves giving the healing of the nations. I don't know if these are the millennial nations that come in to the, the new Jerusalem, the, the new heaven, new earth. I'm not sure here, but there's something medicinal about the leaves. We're talking true natural care, okay? Something just beautiful and wonderful. You know, I, I envy people that go on to heaven before me. I'm not complaining, okay? But it's the truth. We now, we have heaven in our heart. We have eternal life. And, and we need to understand when we're in those valleys that we are, we are conquerors through Christ. We can overcome these things. But I'll tell you what, they're in, they're in heaven now. Um, and, and there's things to come where they'll be at the new heaven, new earth and things. But they are with their Lord. It's so tangible for them now. It's not just um, for us. It's we're thinking upon this. We have this in our heart. We have these truths, but there's still faith, isn't there? They're now fully experiencing that time with the Lord. But one day we will be there. And just as you hold that pear in your hand, this fruit will be in your hand that you will have. But you got to overcome. And we do that through Christ. And those that are truly saved, truly know Jesus as their Savior, will overcome. So we have to ask ourselves tonight, are you an overcomer? Are you truly born again? Is that what First John said? Those who are born again, uh, they are the overcomers. If you're not, if you're not born again, you, you've never experienced the love of God. You can't have the love and passion for Christ because you don't know Christ fully as your Savior. Maybe you're going through the motions and the different things, traditions, a lot of good things, but you don't personally know Christ as your Savior. You can know Him and He can change. It can be a personal relationship with Him, just, just as sweet as the most precious fruit that you could ever eat. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. No doubt there are some, as the Bible says, that they are tares among the wheat. There are some that profess to be believers, but truly they've never experienced the love of God. They've never came to know Jesus as their personal Savior. And what I mean by that is they've never sensed the Spirit of God bearing witness with their spirit. They've never sensed the Word of God actually speaking to their hearts their, their prayers, but their vain repetitions. They've heard a lot of good talks about things, but truly they've never experienced that. There's no, there's no relationship. There's no life. If that's you today, the Bible says to examine our hearts. Whether we be in the faith, prove yourselves. 
We are to examine our hearts tonight. And I don't by any means want to cause anybody to doubt their salvation. Because our salvation is secure, not in what we've done, but it's secure in the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask God to speak to you now. Do you know, are you examining your heart? Do you know Christ for sure as your Savior? Do you have eternal life? Father in heaven, we are so thankful that we can know you, that we can talk to you, that we can commune with you, that you can speak to us, that you can guide us, that you can um, correct us, teach us, reprove us, instruct us. We're thankful that your word is living. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that that dwells there, that we can walk in the Spirit, that there can be fruit that's produced in our lives. And, but Lord, there may be some here, I, I don't know, I don't want to be belong this, but Lord, there may be some here today that have went through the traditions, but there's never a personal time, there's never a time where they've truly came to know Christ. Maybe they're religious, but, they're, but they don't fully know Christ in a personal way. I pray that you do work in hearts tonight. And Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. And keep your head bowed.